Welcome to Renewables in Action, the podcast that gives you all the information you want to know about renewable energy across the world. The greed of the future. How will it look like? Will it have much of renewables energy? Fossil fuel? How could it benefit Africa? Is it at all possible to have something done? I'll tell you one thing. I've been talking to Christopher Flavin, a head of business development at Gridworks. They are doing some fantastic work in Africa, demonstrating that no models is really possible. I invite you to pay attention carefully to this podcast because I tell you what, I'm sure you're going to be very surprised at what you're hearing. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. Do you want to understand the renewable energy sector, its trends, business models and insights? Are you interested in learning about the challenges and opportunities as well as how you or your business can thrive in this new world? Welcome to Renewables in Action, the show that helps you realize your potential in this industry, which is the fastest growing source of energy in the world. Here is your host, former automotive engineer turned clean energy entrepreneur and expert, Tony you. Okay, so uh, very happy to have a very fine gentleman with me here today, Chris Flavins for Gridworks. Excited to be here with you today to talk about the fantastic work that you are doing. And for the people that are listening to us, I'm sure they'd be very happy to know a little bit more about you. So what are, would you say, the three things that characterize you, Chris? Thank you very much, Tony. Very happy to be here today talking to you as well. Uh, my name is Chris Lavin. Um, I'm the head of business development at Gridworks Development Partners. Um, what else to say? Virgo, I guess. I'm a Virgo. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Put me on the spot there. I'm sorry. <laughs> next, next question, please. So I think we definitely want to check and see, you know, what is the Virgo? How do they behave? Like the zodiac, the zodiac sign. <laughs> well, I know the Virgo is slightly startled by the question. But, uh, yeah, off we go. That's fine. So I must admit, I've heard about uh, Gridworks for a little some time now. I also were looking at the job that you're doing. I'm clearly fascinated. I think it clearly needs to be more company that's what you're doing. Would you mind, in a couple of words, just describe what is Gridworks? Sure. So Gridworks is a developer and investor wholly owned by British International Investments, the, the British government's development finance institution. Gridworks was set up four years ago uh, to target what British International Investments perceived to be an undercapitalized area of the African energy market. So we're set up focused on transmission, distribution, and off-grid energy. Uh, so that's the grid works in a nutshell. Excellent. And would you say that transmission at the moment is the weakest link in Africa power? Because let me explain. Most of the time, we always hear about projects about the generation. But as you know, you still need to take that generated power to the intended user. So is it at the moment the weakest link? Um. I think transmission and distribution both have fairly major challenges. Are they the weakest link? I think they're certainly the areas that require the most investment. They're undercapitalized and they're, to some extent, not very well understood as well. Um, I think both transmission and distribution suffer a bit from um, the fact that they're hard to explain to people um, at the political level in very simple terms. So... A lot of the narrative around the energy transition is very, is very much focused on the need for renewable generation. 
and I think the public understands solar panels and wind turbines uh, replacing thermal combustion. Um, but actually explaining to people the importance of networked infrastructure in evacuating the power, in delivering it efficiently to end users, um, is, is harder and it's more complicated. Um, you don't get as obvious a photo opportunity uh, next to um, sort of utility infrastructure uh, mm. as you do next to generation infrastructure. But I think there's a growing understanding of that as well. Mm. So let me just follow up on this question, because in my mind, it's still quite surprising, right? So what is that difficult in understanding to people that I've generated power 10 miles from where the population is, but I just need to take that power to the people who they won't use it? So what exactly is the hardest not to understand there? So I, th- I, think it's a, I think it's a couple of things. I mean, when you explain it that way, it does sound very, very simple. I think, to some extent, I think the continent of Africa suffers from the fact that the challenge is a little bit different to other parts of the world. When people are talking about the energy transition at the political level as part of the, the various COP meetings, um, the majority of the transition that needs to take place, the majority of the generation around the globe is happening in an environment where you have a lot of transmission infrastructure. And the challenge is really about dealing with bottlenecks on the network, absorption of a greater proportion of renewables, more technical challenges. And you're also operating in an environment where there's typically a, a TSO planning a network with access to you know, fairly diverse pools of capital. It's a very different challenge. And Africa's sort of swept up in how the rest of the world thinks about this because of the scale of electricity infrastructure elsewhere in the world versus versus Africa at the moment. In Africa, transmission networks are totally unpenetrated. Even countries that have got reasonably well-functioning sectors typically have, you know, in many cases, sort of less than 30 or 40% grid penetration. So the requirement for transmission is very different. It's energy access as well as energy transition. And the energy transition part isn't just about absorption of renewables onto the grid. It's actually about displacing diesel generation or or burning other things like charcoal as well. So even the energy transition element is slightly different. And I don't think that's well understood outside of Africa. And a lot of policy around these sorts of things is made at a very, very high level initially anyway. So, look, I think it's partly that. I also think that the business models around transmission are, they're actually not very complicated, but I think they're probably poorly understood as well because there aren't lots of reference projects. In the case of of power generation, you know, people understand how an IPP works pretty well now. Understanding how an IPT works shouldn't be any harder, but because the projects haven't happened yet, because transmission has often been treated as a strategic asset or not such an immediate problem as generation in lots of jurisdictions to date, you don't have as many people with familiarity with the asset class as well. But I think that's just a matter of time. I don't think that's hard to fix. It will take a bit of time as some projects come through. Excellent. And how is grid work actually changing this picture? How are you impacting this picture? By mandate, we're working in the transmission space. We've been working on a portfolio of projects since Gridworks was established. The most advanced of those is an IPT in Uganda we call a Maori Power Transmission. Uh, we're actually, it's a brownfield project, we're upgrading a number of key substations in the country using a project finance structure and we think that structure is very replicable and uh, we're, we're excited about that project. Um, 
the infrastructures necessary to evacuate more power that's been commissioned in Uganda, to move it efficiently around the country, to supply commercial users, and also to prepare the network in Uganda for more regional integration in the future. And again, sort of tr- the interesting thing about transmission is that people understand very easily why a generation asset is necessary. They understand the concept very easily. But um, you put it very eloquently earlier in the discussion when you said that people don't understand why you need to move power from point A to point B. But actually, there are other reasons why you build transmission infrastructure as well. It's to do with resilience, redundancy in the network. There's all sorts of reasons why you do it. And you normally make quite a broad... A TSO makes a very broad-based case for a piece of infrastructure. And you know sometimes the details get lost when people have very high-level conversations. I understand that. And what kind of money are we talking about here for a transmission project in Africa? So look, the need is huge, right? It's a totally underinvested sector and the traditional ways of funding the sector on the continent through multilateral loans with sovereign guarantees and you know ECAs aren't going to be sufficient going forwards because there isn't enough sort of debt capacity in the market, sovereign debt capacity in, in the markets that, that need to make this level of investment. So we're talking about billions and billions and billions. There's a number of reference points that we can use for this. People have done quite a lot of work on this in the past. But when you talk about, I think your question was probably about individual projects. Um, Transmission is capital intensive. Individual projects tend to be relatively large. Um, This is networked infrastructure. And because of the way it's been funded in the past, it's not really helpful or in the interests of the TSO to package up sort of small pieces of infrastructure here. So we find that most transmission projects start at sort of, uh, you know, $150 million um, up to six or $700 million. That's a, a very typical size. Um, you could break them up. You could do them in chunks as well. But I think if you're talking about doing IPTs in Africa and efficiently project financing these projects, then having some scale to justify the work required for a project financed project is important. And then at the top end, understanding debt capacity in individual markets as well and having manageable transaction sizes is going to be important anyway. So I think that's probably the natural range for a number of reasons. Mm. And here is a difficult question, or that could be perceived as difficult for some people. Whose responsibility is it to develop the infrastructure? Would you say it is the private sector or the public sector? So... I mean, most transmission planning is carried out by the public sector with, um, you know, a a nominated TSO preparing grid development plans. And I think the responsibility to deliver good quality, least cost power to end users is, is definitely a public sector responsibility. People look to their governments to do that. The role of private capital is really just being available for the government. It's a policy decision. And you sometimes hear people with very fixed views on whether transmission should be privatised or whether it should remain state-owned. And I think in reality, there are different models for transmission. We're focusing on IPTs at the moment, which aren't a very dramatic intervention in terms of how a transmission network is planned, operated. Um, It's just a new way of funding. There are other models as well, which are arguably bigger interventions. The reality is these are policy questions and IPTs are a funding tool and they'll be appropriate for some projects and not appropriate for others. And governments can then make a decision on a case-by-case basis. I think the important message is that an IPT or project finance transmission line is a way of funding the sector that's generally been available to governments to make a policy decision in relation to in countries in a lot of parts of the world. And it hasn't been a tool available to 
African governments to date. Mm. Um, so providing that range of options is important. And there's a lot of reasons why you'd look at different options to do with affordability, fiscal treatment, other government priorities. So look, Gridworks is about providing uh, an option to governments. And when we provide that option, we can be involved in the development of the line as well because we have expertise. But it's up to a government how they want to do that. If they'd like to bring us to a project late that's substantially developed, then we can sort of work on the project financing and provide the equity sponsorship. Um, equally, if there's an earlier stage opportunity, we have the expertise and capacity in our team to do a lot of the heavy lifting at the front of the project as well. Uh, project managing feasibility, looking at the environmental and social issues and uh, designing and structuring the project as well. So we're flexible and we like to provide governments with options. Okay. And um, you mentioned a free project that you're involved in, and I'm sure your pipeline is much bigger than that. You talked about Amari, you talked about Virunga, but I want to talk more specifically about Moi Power, what's happening in GRC, because I look today, it's very interesting. You are the lead developer in the project. I think you've invested a substantial amount of equity there. So I just wanted to understand what has really attracted you in this project and what can the people, because at the end of the day, we also need to remember that it's good to be talking about this project, you know, nice offers, talking about lots of money. At the end of the day, we're about impacting the life of people on the ground. And when they see these projects happening on their soil, basically, so they sometimes will be wondering, what's going on here? What can we expect from that? How is it going to change or improve our life? So my question to you, just to summarize, what has attracted you into Moi Power? Because you're the lead investor there. And what can the people of the region expect from this project? So our decision to, to work on Moi Power is based around our, by mandate, we're, we, we look at energy access and mini-grids as an important part of our mandate. Um, what attracted us to Moy is the opportunity to get scale in an individual project. I think that utility provision the world over works best and provides the cheapest power when you get some scale and you can get some operational synergies. Um, so that was an important part of it. The three cities that are being electrified as part of Moy Power are, are quite large, um, uh, quite large areas in the context of, of mini grids. Um, you know, you're talking about a few hundred thousand people in each of the three cities. There's also an approach to regulation and contractual protection and your relationship with government that is closer to how large scale utilities work when they've been concessioned in the past as well. So there are sort of appropriate um, government protections and, and regulation in relation to to the tariff that could be charged over the duration of the concession. And we as an organisation think that's very important for the, the mini-grid space and the distribution utility space because what we like to do is provide people with least cost power. And the best way to do that is to have a very boring, predictable investment structure so that you don't need to rely on high equity returns or, or risky structures that increase the cost of debt in financing the utility as well. So that was very important to us too. Um, what we're trying to do, though, is work on models that are replicable elsewhere. So it's also about replicability. If you can set a precedent for, for good contracts and regulation and for being able to finance a project like this, then it's certainly replicable elsewhere in DRC, where there are lots of large population centres like Gamena, Bumba and Asiro that don't have grid access at the moment. Um, so that's a large part of it as well. 
look, on the ground, this is going to be a high-quality utility um, once it's constructed. Our partners here, AE Power and Aeronov, are, are excellent partners in delivering this. We've got a very strong consortium, and we're building a you know a small greenfield utility in each of these cities with generation from solar panels, um, backup diesel generators, and uh, battery storage. So this is high-quality, 24-7 power, street lights. This is power that can be used for productive use. It's a high quality of power that you would get from from solar home systems or from um, sort of alternative models that don't provide round round the clock power. And the utilities themselves, they need some subsidy on day one to buy down the initial price of power, the initial tariffs, and make them affordable. Um, you've then put a structure in place that should allow the utilities to grow organically over the duration of the twenty two year concession, so that at the end we'll be reaching a very significant number of people. And we're targeting a million people over the duration of the concession. Mm. So it's quite a few pieces there, but I think that the summary is that it's uh, it's an opportunity to scale. There's high quality contracts that are replicable, and therefore the whole project should be replicable. And although the individual project should have a very meaningful impact for the people who these utilities serve, the opportunity to create wider impact across more cities, you know, over a period of time, this none of these things happen mm. overnight. These are technically challenging projects. And transmission and distribution infrastructure have sort of multi-year development cycles wherever you do them in the world. So this will take time, but we think it could be the start of something with uh, with quite significant impact. That's good, and we're looking forward to see that. Just follow up on what you said, because I think I like the comprehensive response that you've been sharing with us. Ultimately, it always comes down to money, right? So we all know that. And one of the big obstacles at the moment in the continent, it's the uh, cost of connection, which is... Last time I checked, don't quote me for that. I'm sure it changed since then. But it was around $400 per person, right? So are you expecting that with the degree that you're going to be building, that you're going to bring it relatively down? I'm not going to ask you for a figure because I'm sure it's difficult for you to put a figure, obviously. But are you confident that you're going to bring it down to a level whereby it's going to be affordable for people? Because if it's not affordable, we're going to have a brilliant infrastructure, but how long is it going to last? which is the problem that many of those grids are having at the moment in Africa. So regarding that affordability aspect, what would you say with what you guys are building at the moment? So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Affordability is key. It's, it's important to the sustainability of the infrastructure. Um, it's important to the sustainability of the business as well. So you would expect we've been very, very focused on affordability. Um, and look, it, it, it's critical, absolutely critical to demand. Um, a large part of the feasibility work we've been doing over the last uh, couple of years is, is around demand, uh, understanding day one demand because it requires us to size the infrastructure appropriately. And as part of that, we've done a lot of work on, on what's affordable as well because demand and affordability have a relationship with each other and you've got to sort of work these things out very, very iteratively. But look, at the moment, we're operating in an environment where globally, where energy prices are high, you know, the price of diesel is high, and it's not like we're going and building infrastructure in places where people aren't consuming energy. So there are reference points, and we're very confident that what we're doing is going to provide affordable power locally um, in the context of what people are paying for the power at the moment using other generation sources. Okay, that's good. And the grid that you're building... Are you planning to mainly evacuate fossil fuel or renewables? Even in the context of mini-grids, this is a very renewable mini-grid. The starting point is that it's it's solar-driven and we're using batteries as well. You do need backup diesel gensets to operate beyond the capacity of the batteries. But, you know, by any relevant measure, this is a environmentally friendly mini-grid. 
Okay, excellent. Looking forward to that. So, what are your expectations for AEF this year? My expectations for AEF, I think, uh, catch up with old friends, make new, make new connections, um, and have interesting conversations about opportunities elsewhere in the continent. Excellent. Very last question for you. So I don't know how long you're planning to stay in Kenya, but you can enjoy the country as well because it's a brilliant country to be in. <laughs> this is a plug on behalf of the Kenyan tourism board. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, I always enjoy myself in Kenya. I'll be flying in uh, a couple of days early. We actually have other business in Kenya, including board meetings for one of our investing companies, Sustainable Power Solutions. And uh, I'm going to plug them now as well and let, let, you know, let you know that they are one of the continent's premier CNI companies and uh, actively working in East Africa at the moment. So if anybody listening to this podcast has, has <laughs> <laughs> this was power needs, please get in touch with uh, Francois Van Thermat, Sustainable Power Solutions. There we go. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. So Chris Flavin, that was a pleasure to talk to you and I look forward to seeing you in person as well again in uh, AEF and uh, you're doing a great job, good works and uh, I wish there are more companies like you. Thank you for that. Thank you very much, Tony. It's a pleasure talking to you and uh, I'm sure we will catch up in, in Nairobi in a couple of weeks. For sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of Renewables in Action. I hope you learned one or two things today. If you have, please do take action. Also, subscribe, rate and review the podcast in Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you like. You can reach out to me, Tony to you on LinkedIn to connect, to share your feedback. I look forward to speaking with you. Until then, may the sun be with you. See you next time on the Renewables in Action podcast.